Hi, I am Joseph. And I am Eleni. And we are the hosts of Microbes in Us. This podcast brings together the people that work tirelessly to uncover and understand the microbial world, its secrets, its complexity, and its vibrancy. And it will show us how microbes can shape, break, and make our human world. From prehistoric times, all the way to the modern world around us. We hope you enjoy and share this podcast. Welcome back to Microbes and Us. Here I have a special guest that I met at the FEM Summer School for Postdocs earlier this year, Aude Bernheim, who's a scientist working at INSERM, the French National Institute for Health and Medical Research, and is working in the field of bacterial immune systems to viruses. Is that right? That's completely right. Nice. You're here with me today on the podcast to talk about this very fascinating subject. So I wanted to ask if you could give us a little overview of how do bacteria fight viruses. I mean, we know that bacteriophages are the most common kind of microbe in the world in terms of numbers, and bacteria are under attack by these every day. So they must have developed some fun systems to, to try and survive. Yeah, what kind of overview can you, can you give me today? Yes, so uh, bacteria have to pretty much face the threat of many, many viruses. And for a very, I would say, long time, it's quite fascinating to think that we thought as microbiologists that there were only a few ways for bacteria to defend themselves against viruses. So the first weapon that were discovered are restriction modification enzymes, which were discovered very early on, 50s, 60s, 70s. And for a long time, people thought that was it only a second modification. You had a lot of diversity in there. Uh, and then somehow like 40, 50 years later, CRISPR-Cas systems are uncovered because initially CRISPR-Cas systems are a way for bacteria to defend themselves against viruses. And there people started to be like, wow, <laughs> did we not found CRISPR earlier? You know, like th these were there presenting 40% of bacteria. So most probably because they are not very active in E. coli, that could be one explanation. Hmm. But then, since then, pretty much what happened is that people started thinking, wow, if we missed such a common system, it might be very well possible that there are other ways for bacteria to defend themselves against viruses. Uh, and so pretty much what happened in the last, I would say, five years is an explosion in the number of antiphage systems that are known in bacteria. And now we are pretty much counting to a hundred of different ways at the molecular level that bacteria can defend wow. themselves against viruses. And all of that in, yeah, a few years. So it's kind of this whole new world of systems mm -hmm. and molecular diversity that we get to, to understand and, and discover. And that's interesting you said that, you know, one of the reasons it took so long to find CRISPR was that it's not so prevalent in E. coli. And obviously lots of research is focused on E. coli. So do you know which kinds of bacteria people had to go look at to find the other systems? Or were some of these new systems in E. coli as well? So for the CRISPR-Cas system, it came from a very specific industry. So the discovery of CRISPR, we owe it thanks to yogurt, because it's a big issue in uh, yogurt that the phages would kill bacteria. And by studying that, they came up studying like streptococcus type of, uh, of, phages, of uh, phages and bacteria to understand how CRISPR worked. To be completely, uh, I would say fair, E. coli have CRISPR, it's just they're not active in laboratory con conditions. They do not work really well. And now for all the new systems we are discovering, there are tons of different bacteria. They are in E. coli, they are in Bacillus subtilis, they are in Staphylococcus, and all of them are a very, I would say, different type of antiviral arsenal. 
So do they follow the same kind of approach as CRISPR and go for the viral DNA, or have they learned to target different parts of the bacteriophage? What is quite fascinating is that there are tons of diverse ways for bacteria to fight off these viruses. So up to now, we knew mostly of, of restriction modification and CRISPR, which targets the, the DNA. We now know CRISPR work actually in, in many diverse ways. Sometimes they also target the RNA. But a lot of systems also work by what we say uh, is abortive infection, which means that the cell will commit suicide upon phage infection then prevents another phage infection and so that the whole population would die. So it's kind of altruistic suicide in a, in a sense. Mm. And, and the way to kill yourself, you have actually quite a lot. So uh, molecularly, you can pretty much deplete something you really much need in the cell. You can make holes in your membranes. You can degrade your RNA, degrade your DNA. So there is a lot of diversity. But there are also, I would say, more exotic type of mechanisms. So one of my favorite, which is one I, I, I worked during my postdoctoral work, is by producing a small molecule that is toxic only for the virus, but not for the bacteria. And that's called an RNA chain terminator. And so there is this protein called Viperin that will make pretty much a, a, a small molecule, so a modified nucleotide. This modified nucleotide, when incorporated into nascent RNA chain, will lead to the RNA chain pretty much stopping. And so that's a bit more, I would say, exotic than the usual mechanism. Yeah, that is really cool. So it's a fake nucleotide. So. Yeah. I mean, does it look like A, T, G, or U, or C? Or which one does it go for? Or do they have a different range of these? The beautiful thing in microbes is they are so diverse. So actually, mm. quite interestingly, this, this protein exists in humans, and it produces a modified version of C, okay? But in bacteria, because they are so diverse, we have different versions of the genes, and so they produce both uh, the U version, the G version, and the C version. Mm, okay. And some of them are able to produce three at the same time. To example. really confuse those viruses. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously one of the, you know, famous outcomes of discovering CRISPR is we now have this cheap way of editing genes. Are people looking for other uses for these, you know, bacterial immune responses that might have laboratory or health applications? Definitely. I think that that is one of the reasons that people started looking into this field was the first things that were discovered there were restriction modification and CRISPR-Cas system. Both of these led to really biotechnological revolution, like uh, cloning on one hand and, and the birth of pretty much uh, a lot of the molecular genetics that we know, and on the other hand, then CRISPR. And I think it's, a, it's still a, a bit early to fully uh, understand what will be the outcome. But for example, there are some systems called Retron that have already been involved in actually uh, doing some, some genome engineering, I would say. And there are, beyond genome engineering, many leads to the potential applications of the system. First, for example, in understanding more uh, the use of phages to kill bacteria, because mm -hmm. if you have these, then that is a problem. Second, uh, the type of molecules that I've just been describing for viperin, so modified nucleotide that are RNA chain terminators, could be used against other type of viruses and bacteriophages. So that's another potential, uh, uh, I would say, applications. And another one is that we are starting to discover that the mechanism of immunity were thought to not be conserved at all between bacteria and eukaryotes. It's thought to be completely different because there is a very uh, strong evolutionary harms race going on. And so because of this evolutionary harms race, people thought that since there is such a strong pressure that it 
pushes to evolve very fast somehow. And so if there is a fast evolution, you don't expect to have conservation. And among all the novelties that we are finding in bacteria, we are observing that there are some systems that exist in eukaryotes and also exist in prokaryotes. And so, for example, uh, it's a case for a, a system called CBAS. Okay, so CBAS is composed of a protein called CGAS, and this is the ancestor, pretty much of the C-gasting pathway in, in humans that is super important in human immunity. And by understanding a bit more of finding C-gas inhibitors in bacteria, this leads to also potential ways. So that's what I mean by the fact is that there are many, many applications that we cannot envision yet because it's bringing us to new territories in biology that we had not perceived when people started mm. working on this. So some of these systems in bacteria look quite a lot like similar systems, even in humans. So multicellular eukaryota, which is quite fascinating. So what of these many systems would you say you're focused on at the moment? Uh, myself in my lab. So yeah. we actually chose to, to focus on many at the same time. Because uh, so I, I myself was very focused on viperins, which is uh, the system that produce small molecules. And I also uh, worked a lot on retrons, uh, which is very cool genetic elements that turned out to be anti-phage systems. And uh, somehow, uh, with all the new systems coming out, uh, in my lab, we decided that we needed kind of a bird eye view because there were questions like, how many anti of these antiphage systems a typical bacteria has? And no one knew mm. because no one had done pretty much a description. So what we developed in the lab is a program, uh, bioinformatic program, to detect all the known antiphage systems and actually allowed us to kind of say general things about bacterial immunity by looking at all these systems uh, together. And so that when you take a bit this step back, uh, what can you say about the biology of these antiviral arsenals, but also how does this influence ecology, evolution? Uh, so this is a, a major focus in my lab. One of the things I was thinking was that with the kind of antibiotic resistance crisis, there's lots of interest in using bacteriophages to treat different bacterial infections. Now, if they have all these systems to defend against bacteriophages, do people need to sort of couple some kind of way to inhibit these systems with phage treatments? So I think this is clearly among the lines of things that, that needs to be understood. So there is a concept in phage biology called the host range, which means which bacteria can be killed by a specific phage. And it turns out that up to now, we really don't understand this well. We, we are not at all able to predict which phage will target which bacteria. And this even in, in, in a species. In one species, you have one phage that will work out on some bacteria, another on another, and we really didn't understood this well. The hope is that we are pretty much blind to a huge part of the way of how bacteria fight phages. Mm. And if we now understand a bit better what's going on, well, maybe we have a shot of understanding this. And if we do, then in the idea of using phages to fight against antibiotic resistant bacteria, well, then, you know, it's much more likely that we would be able to, to be better at it instead of having to spend a lot of time testing and trying and these kind of things. Mm. So, there is a hope and, and some studies are starting to actually emerge on this. So there were beautiful work uh, done on Vibrio. So this is not on, I would say, uh, Vibrio colored, but more environmental uh, Vibrio that are found in the oceans, where it was shown that in these conditions, environmental conditions, really what makes the host range 
is the defense systems. You have almost identical bacteria, really, really almost the same genomes. What actually changes in, the, in, in these genomes is just the presence of specific antiphage system because they are transferred a lot horizontally. It's very dynamic. Mm. And these will determine whether or not they will resist one phage or another. So all of these are, are concepts that have been existing for a while and that we've been looking at for, at, for a while and that we have not been really able to understand and that now we have a shot at understanding because of this. Okay, so I mean, are these frequently found on plasmids or how often do they transfer these? Is it that you just will find any of these systems cropping up in many different strains or is there still some kind of division between the types of system you'd find in different species? It's quite fascinating because that's where the field started in a sense. Hmm. It was noticed in 2011 that some antiphage systems cluster together in bacterial genomes in so-called defense islands. What that meant is that often when you found a CRISPR, you had a restriction modification nearby. And the reason for these defense islands have not been fully understood yet. We are only at the beginning. But among the reasons that they could exist, which would be co-transcriptional regulation. Uh, it could be that's where you have space on the genome, but it's also because you could transfer them easily together. And so uh, the, these defense islands are fascinating because of these evolutionary reasons, but also because that's how defense systems were discovered. You just looked at what was enriched in defense islands, genes, but mm. for which we didn't know the functions. And so if you had genes that were all the time in defense islands, but we didn't know what they did, the hypothesis was they should be antiphage systems. And that's how tons of antiphage systems were actually discovered. On, on a more, uh, I would say, a really horizontal uh, gene transfer uh, perspective, the, the, the link is, again, uh, qu quite fascinating. So first, these uh, defense systems can be found, yes, on plasmids, Yes, on prophages, but uh, I would say that on plasmid, they are, but it's not like necessarily all the time. They are found also on transposons, okay? So we definitely find them in mobile genetic elements. But the most striking thing is that it's not the whole defense island that could be present on these elements. But on the mobile genetic elements themselves, there are hotspots, okay? All the time at the same place, you have a defense system, but each time it's a different one. So this was beautifully shown by a paper by uh, Rousset and colleagues, where you really see that you're in a, a, a phage parasite, okay? It has around 15 genes. Among these 15 genes, it's always the same genes, except one hotspot. And in that hotspot, you find restriction modification, return, and other things. And it was tested, and these other things are also anti-phage system. But then comes the idea, what are these anti-phage systems doing on phages, on prophages, because other studies have shown that they are present uh, for, from the lab of Kim, Kimberly Seed, Kim Seed, wonderful on, on MG again. So we keep finding them on MG themselves. Mm. And so there was this wonderful hypothesis that actually most of these anti-phage systems would not be involved in protecting the cell against phages, but mostly in the wall between mobile genetic elements, and that the cell is just a battlefield. And that's why you would only find, like, you would find them so enriched in these mobile genetic elements, and they move all the time, that they are not necessarily there as elements of bacteria, for bacteria to defend themselves, but more as a way of mobile genetic elements to fight between themselves. 
Okay, hang on. So some phage, anti-phage systems, you're saying are transported by prophages and even regular mm -hmm. phages? I mean, I'm guessing it's a phage, anti-phage system that is working on a different kind of phage. It's not going to be yeah, working so, on itself. So yeah. So we don't have experimental evidence for all the ones that have been detected mm. on, the, on, on phages, but for sure, it seems that at least they wouldn't work against themselves. So most probably they would work against other phages. And on a, the specific example that I was giving, yes, it's, it's working against something, something else. Some defense systems have even been co-opted to target the host. This is the case that was shown initially for a CRISPR being encoded on a phage. And, uh, and and that would pretty much help the phage uh, infect the host. Mm -hmm. So you, you have many, many different, I would say, uh, possibilities. But yes, what it's most probable, I would say, is that these anti-phage systems target other phages. You could also think of them as a concept called super-infection exclusion. So this concept is that when you have a phages that's integrated in the genome, and that, so it's called a prophages, uh, when it's in that form, you don't want another of these phages from the same family to be able to invade. And so you have systems that have been known for a while called super-infection exclusion that prevent another phage of this, the exact same one to come in the cell and, and infect again. And these can be, for example, by uh, uh, repressing uh, the expression of some genes, so that's a classic method, but you could think of some systems that are officially anti-phage that would work out somehow against phages from the same family, just as a super-infection exclusion mechanism. So it is possible, so everything is possible, it just needs to be better understood. And dug into. So some of these systems then, it seems like they may have evolved as ways for these prophages to kind of duke it out against each other in their own evolutionary battle, and then they end up in the bacterium. So it's a much more sort of complicated system of competition than merely bacteria versus phage. You have a much more sort of dynamic range of different genetic elements competing. Absolutely. And I think the more, the, the more we understand about mobile genetic elements, the less we understand in some way, in a sense, because, you know, we have these boundaries that you have plasmids, you have phages, you have phage Okay, actually, all of this is a spectrum. You have phage plasmids, you have parasites that are also something else, you have phage that integrate, others that don't, plasmids the same, and then you have conjugative elements. It's, it's a mess, mm. and the role of these elements, of these anti-phage systems, we're not even sure they're all anti-phage. Look at CRISPR and restriction modification. They're not only anti-phage systems, they're also anti-plasmid because they target the DNA. And if they target the DNA, they have a very important role, it was shown in diverse studies, in pretty much orienting the type of horizontal transfer you are doing, because you are pretty much getting, uh, letting some DNA in and restriction, uh, doing the restriction on others. And so, for example, some bacteria, such as Helicobacter pylori, have very easily, on average, 18 restriction modification systems. What, what has been shown is that typically the presence of that many systems, it's not uh, due to the presence of many, many phages, but more that they have really an important role in the regulation of horizontal gene transfer. And many of the systems that have been recently identified among all these like eight, eight, eight zero <laughs> new systems that have been identified, we call them anti-phage systems, but it's highly possible 
that they're also involved in limiting or not horizontal gene transfer. But mm. because for a lot of them, we don't know how they work, we don't know yet the molecular mechanism, we are not really able to tell which ones are like just dedicated to the fight against phages and other would be also involved in such, a, uh, I would say, dynamics as uh, limiting horizontal gene transfer. So yeah, there's a lot of uncertain paths to kind of tease out in the research here, which I guess is why you find it fascinating. Um, I think you mentioned earlier that some of these systems, uh, although they're used for, you know, antiphage or within the bacterial sort of system, might have some uses against human viruses. Now, is that possible? Because I mean, in my mind, a bacteriophage is a very different kind of virus to anything that infects a human cell. So where does the crossover happen? And how does that get incorporated into anti-human virus? In everyone's mind, I was like, okay, bacterial viruses and human viruses. But in the end, when you think about the virus, it's somehow a polymerized, polymerized replicating some nucleic acids. And so if you are targeting this core aspect of biology, it is possible that some molecules would actually target both. And the reasons I'm saying that is that with the example of the viperin, this is exactly what we found. We have a gene in human, it produces a molecule called DDHCTP, which is a modified nucleotide incorporated specifically by human viral polymerases. It turns out that the bacteria have the same exact type of genes, bacterial viperins. And these bacterial viperins, they produce the same type of molecule. So they produce DDHCTP exactly like the human. And so here we see that both molecules are efficient against phages, T7, and human viruses. What was so fascinating to work on this is that it was so conserved that we could take the human gene, put it in E. coli. In E. coli, it produces the human version of the viperin this molecule called DDHCTP, and there was resistance on the place to T7. So you had a human gene providing resistance to a bacterial phages in bacteria. Okay? Okay, so, wow. So this is possible. We now have an example. It is possible. And so I told you that there are other molecules that are produced by these bacterial viperins, the G version, the U version. So there is a hope that maybe these ones actually would also uh, be, could be efficient against uh, some human viruses. Mm. And, and now, if you accept this, this idea that bacteria can produce these small molecules to fight phages, and I, I will call that chemical defense, if you accept this idea, then probably the viperins are, are not the only chemical defense system. And, and there is this whole uh, uh, field in, uh, in, in called natural product discovery, where you have bacteria that produce pretty much small molecules, and these small molecules usually can kill other bacteria. This is antibiotics or other fungi, antifungic, and all this field called natural product discovery has been deeply, deeply used in human health to source antibiotics, antifungi, but also immunosuppressors, and a lot of the diversity of the drugs that we have now today come from this field. And with this example of the viperin, we actually think that maybe we can also use these natural products produced by bacteria to find novel antiviral drugs. And it's quite fascinating because in recent studies by two different groups, so the group of uh, Karen Maxwell and the group of Julia Frunske, they, they have discovered novel type of this so-called chemical defense meaning this type of production of small molecules 
uh, to actually target viruses. And these molecules in this study were already known, so they were known natural products, but what they showed is that their role in cryptomyces, which is the bacteria that produce them, is actually antiphage. And so the hope is that we can dig in and discover more of these, okay, in many of these bacteria, and that in these, probably maybe, some of these molecules might then be able to also work against other viruses. It could be human, but it could be plants, it could be other type of viruses. Yeah. Hmm. So then we could have applications for pest control in agriculture, fighting human disease, and even new techniques for editing genomes in the future. So many amazing applications then from this field. Yeah, I just want to thank you, Ord, for coming and joining us on Microbes in Us and taking us on a lovely whirlwind tour of this field. Because the more you get into it, I can see that there's just so many well, unknowns to begin with, which is always exciting in science, but also so many interesting applications. And it's super nice how you can see these crossing over of systems in bacteria, which you think of as simple prokaryotic cells, but then even genes from human cells that can be transposed and work. It is, it is just showing you how all of life is connected in this like insane myriad of genomics. So thank you very yeah. much for joining us. Um, My pleasure. Fascinating. And I wish you the best with all your research. Thank you. In the next few stages. You've been listening to the podcast Microbes and Us. Hit the follow button to never miss an episode and follow us on social media on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Fems Micro and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Fems Microbiology. See you in our next episode.